Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Today, we are celebrating Easter. And I love that there's something very natural about our celebration of Easter, in contrast, actually, to how we celebrate Christmas. So I I love Christmas. Okay, I'm gonna gonna critique Christmas here for just a little moment, uh, how how we celebrate it. You know, we, we have created this whole ethos around Christmas that's kind of warm and fuzzy, but think about it. I mean, we celebrate it in December, like it's freezing cold outside. So there isn't anything warm about Christmas. We, we put up colored lights, we put up lights, and it's like the darkest time of the year. We put up all this colorful stuff, and when you look out at nature in December, everything is colorless. I mean, it's like, it looks like it's dead. And so there's something kind of very artificial about the way we celebrate Christmas. And in fact, I mean, if we're, if we're gonna get biblical about it, I mean, the historical accounts of Jesus' birth tell us that he probably was not born on December 25th because we find out that there were shepherds, If you, some of you know, there were shepherds out in their fields watching their flocks at night. If it's the bleak midwinter, they are probably not out in the fields watching their flocks. They're in a barn somewhere, or they have them in the the house or something like that. I mean, sometimes we look back 2,000 years and we think, yeah, they didn't have technology, they didn't have Google, they didn't have the things that we have. They weren't dumb, okay? Like, if it's freezing cold outside, they're gonna go inside with their sheep. So there, there were political reasons, cultural reasons, religious reasons why December 25th was chosen to celebrate Christmas. We won't get into all of that today. But what I love about Christmas, the other, there's other artificial things about Christmas too, like fruitcake and stuff. We, we don't need to get into that. But if we talk about Easter, there's a lot that is just very natural about the way we celebrate Easter. We know that the resurrection of Jesus happened this time of year, in the spring. We know that because Jesus died at Passover. And Passover always occurs on the 14th of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish calendar, which is always either in March or April. So Passover is always in the spring. Jesus' death we know was in the spring. His resurrection was in the spring. His return to life was in the spring. In, in the spring. And so we look at nature around us and we see nature returning to life, which is a beautiful picture and a beautiful reminder of Jesus returning to life. I, I love this time of year because it's like we, we've gotten tired all winter of seeing things gray and bleak and colorless, and now the color starts to pop. I have a couple of mornings a week where I get to drive down River Road in, in Yardley, and some people have like just floods of daffodils in their front yards on the banks there across from the river. It's, it's just, it's beautiful. So we love life returning to the earth at this time of year. Some of you are here this morning and you wish that what you see happening in nature around us 
was happening for you. You, you wish that you were feeling like the bleakness in your life, the colorlessness, the grayness, the, the death even in your life were, were coming back to life. You, you wish that your, your soul was, even though it's feeling dead, was coming back to life. You, you may not be here this morning looking for life intentionally. I mean, you may be here this morning because coming to church on Easter is just kind of the thing to do. You may be here because somebody invited you th this morning. Maybe they promised you lunch afterwards. So whatever reason you're here this morning, if you didn't really come, you're not really interested in the worship and what we're doing here this morning, let me just ask you, just, just tune in, you know, for the next couple of minutes. You're here anyway, so instead of tuning out and thinking about lunch, it'll be there, you know, later. Just why don't you tune in for what we're gonna talk about this morning because we're gonna ask and answer three questions about faith that lead us to life. And so for some of you, this will be review, but for some of you, you have had these questions and nobody's ever really answered them for you. Here, here are the three questions. Why did Jesus die? You know, for those who are outside of the Christian faith, if they come to a service, it, it seems like we, we talk a lot about death. I mean, not just on Easter, not just around Good Friday, but we talk about Jesus dying like all year long. And it, it kind of seems like there's almost this morbid preoccupation with someone dying. And it's like, why, why would we do that? I mean, it's not very family friendly. You know, why is that? Why, what's the big deal with someone dying? The, the second question is, what does it mean to be saved? Maybe you've heard someone say, I was saved back in 2002. Or maybe they've said to you, you need to get saved. And you're like, what, what, what are you talking about? What does that mean? We're gonna answer that this morning. And then the third question is, what does any of this have to do with, with me? So even if there was a person named Jesus, even if he did die, even if somehow he raised from the dead, rose from the dead, which I doubt because you know, people just don't rise from the dead. They, they didn't do it 2,000 years ago. They don't do it today. So, so even if any of that happened, it happened 2,000 years ago, I've got bills to pay. I've got to deal with my ex. I, I don't understand how any of that stuff has anything to do with me. We're gonna answer that question this morning. But you don't need to know my answers to those questions. You really need God's answers to those questions. And so I hope that you will take a Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter five. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, there should be one on a seat close to you. And Romans five is on page 1043. Or if you have a Bible app on your phone, you can look it up on there. Just really want you to see the answers to these questions right in front of you. Um, if, if you're new to Grace Point, if you're here for the first time, we are in a study this year on this book of Romans. It was actually a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome in the first century. And we called this series Immersed in Grace because the whole message of Romans is about us getting something that we don't deserve because God is so gracious 
and so generous. And we are just immersed in his grace. We're saturated in it. It's like we're standing under a waterfall. So we're just enjoying studying through that. If this is your first time with us, then you picked a great Sunday to be here because we're covering some new ground this morning that none of us have really seen before, so you get to be here for that. We're gonna read a paragraph that answers our our three questions, and we're gonna just read that a couple of verses at a time. The first question is, why did Jesus die? Starting in verse six of Romans chapter five. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a lot of references to death in these couple of verses. Verse six tells us who died and who he died for. Verse six says, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for who? You can say it. For the ungodly. So in verse six, we are called ungodly. In verse eight, it says God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners. So to to sin, the Bible's definition for sin literally means to miss the mark. It's like we're shooting for a target, but we miss it. We're off center. It means that we have failed to reach God's standard. And a lot of people today cringe at this word, sin. I mean, we don't like the idea that we've failed at something. Let me just share two things with you about us being sinners. And this is actually a summary of everything we've been studying from Romans chapter one through chapter four. The first thing is, We are all in the same boat. So this is not me talking down to you like I'm in some kind of different category. I'm right there with you. I need forgiveness of my sin as well. So, and there really aren't like different categories. I I mean, we we might look at somebody and say, well, they've sinned worse than me. It, It really doesn't matter in God's sight. If we've sinned, we've sinned, and we fall into the category of sinners which is all of us. The second thing, okay, and this is a little more positive for you, that admitting that we are sinners is the first step towards becoming the best version of ourselves. So I know a lot of us are concerned about, we, we wanna improve, we wanna grow, we, we wanna be better versions of ourselves. Really, admitting that we're sinners is the first step in that, which is kind of feels like, an oxymoron because we, we like to think that we wanna downplay our failures in order to feel like we're better, but it's actually the reverse. It's actually when we acknowledge the fact that we have failed, that we have not measured up to God's standard for us, that that begins the process of helping us to become better, which we're gonna talk more about how that works. In, in verse six here, when it says, while we were still weak, That word weak is not talking about physical weakness. It's not talking about when you go to the gym that you can't lift as much as you would like. It's not talking about your capacity at work. It's talking about moral weakness. It's talking about, there's there's another version that translates this word powerless. 
that while we were still powerless. It's basically saying, I, along with every other human being who has ever lived, I am morally weak. I do things that I don't want to do, and I don't do things that I wish I would do, and I try to change that, but I keep falling back into that same experience. And admitting that is the first step to getting help from God for that, and help is available. Because verse six says, while we were still weak, while we were still morally powerless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse seven is kind of a parenthesis. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. That that is our experience in, in life. I mean, if someone is gonna sacrificially give themselves to help someone else, usually that is because they they love that person, they consider that person of great value. Oftentimes it's a family member and they're willing to put themselves in harm's way for them. Now we could also think about first responders, and I'm sure some of you are first responders. And, And so that's a little different situation because you, that's your calling to intervene for for people that you don't even know. And and I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for you willing to sacrifice yourself. But that's usually, there's usually a disconnect there in terms of you don't know those people and you're just a courageous person who wants to serve others. When we know someone, and if we knew someone who needed an intervention to, to save them, but we knew that that person is honestly just not a very, very good person. And maybe they're in fact like a pretty lousy person making other people's lives miserable and honestly the world isn't much of a better place because they're here. If we're in a position where we say, am I gonna sacrifice my life for them? Probably not so much. And yet what we see in verse eight is that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves the unlovely. You may not feel like you're in the unlovely category today. And you all look pretty, pretty lovely. I mean, you kind of, some of you like spiffed up and like put some nice clothes on. You all took a shower and all that. So you, you all look lovely and everything. But if we get down to brass tacks, we're, we're kind of unlovely on the inside. I know I, I am certainly at times, and I'll, I'll give you a brief example here. We, we are seven months into a saga where we changed our cell phone company, and it's still not resolved, and we keep getting billed every month for things that they told me were going to be free in the beginning. So I've spent over five hours on the phone with a company that I keep restraining myself from saying, and so we, I've Actually, someone told me, you've not spent five hours on the phone. You've spent like four hours and 45 minutes on hold, which is, which is true. So about a month or so ago, I called them uh, again, and I, I, spent, oh, I was on the phone for over an hour, and there was a very, was a very helpful gentleman, um, very kind, and you know, he was listening to me, and several times he said, um, I'm gonna place you on a brief hold, and I need to go find some information, and the holds were never brief, and they were many. And so by the time we got to the end of that call, I thought we had made some progress. And so I just said to him, just for clarity's sake, would you just go through with me now, what am I gonna see on my next bill? 
And so he, he started talking through it, and it was still wrong. It was like totally wrong. And I just lost it. I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> I didn't call him a name. I didn't say any bad words or anything. I was just like, no, that is still not it. This is the whole reason why I called in the first place. And so I could just feel him recoil on the other side of the phone. Like he's a real life human being. Like this was not a recording. Like he's, and I could just feel him recoil. And he said, kind of quietly, he said, I'm gonna send you on to my supervisor. I'm gonna let you talk to my supervisor, which was actually what I had asked for in the beginning of the call. But anyway, I, while he, he was getting ready to transfer me, I, I apologized to him because I realized like, I, I just vented all of this stuff on him. And I said, I'm, I'm really sorry because I know you didn't create this problem. You're trying to help me work through it. I know you're limited in the things that, that you can do here. So I, I want you to know I, I apologize. And he was like, okay, okay, I'm just gonna send you on over to my supervisor. <laughs> and I could just tell, like I had, the damage was done. Like sometimes I'm an unlovely person. And this is somebody that I don't know, will probably never talk to again. Sometimes I do those things to the people I really care about. And so I am thankful, I am thankful first of all, that we do not, God does not require us to satisfy him by our performance because my performance is inconsistent at best, and sometimes it is an absolute train wreck. So I'm thankful that God does not require me to satisfy him by my performance. He, he makes me right with him by my trust in him. He doesn't ask me to perform. He asks me to trust in what Jesus has already done. And for me, it's a great comfort to read verse eight and find out that while I was still a sinner, while I am still unlovely, God loved me to the point of death, to the point of the ultimate sacrifice. I read something from John Piper this week. He said, we know the depth of someone's love for us by, first of all, what it costs him. Secondly, how little we deserve it. And then thirdly, the greatness of benefits that we receive. So the answer to our question, why did Jesus die? Because he loves us. It's, it's not a rational love. It's a crazy, irrational kind of love to love unlovely people like us. But the cross shows God's perfect love. The second question that we wanna ask and answer this morning is, what does it mean to be saved? I mean, people can mean a lot of things by the phrase, I got saved, or you need to get saved. Let's see what God means by that in verse nine. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, Jesus' blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We had the opportunity to be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. Scripture makes it very clear that God is angry towards sin. God is angry towards sin and violating his law towards us because it is a blight on creation. God is angry when he sees us being unkind and hurting each other. God is 
angry when he sees us as human beings exploiting creation for the sake of greed. I mean, God hates the disruption that has been caused by sin and he hates it and he is storing up a wrath that is gonna be poured out in judgment. If, if you've ever seen the movie this time of year, for some reason they keep showing the movie, The Ten Commandments. I've never been able to get the whole way through that, but there are, there are like 10 plagues in there. You can just read it in the Bible. It's more interesting, actually. So read in the Bible where God brings judgment on the nation of Israel because they had enslaved I'm sorry, in the nation of Egypt, because they had enslaved the Hebrew people. And he said, it's, it's, this has gone on long enough. And he brings these plagues, because, because first God comes to him and says, just let them go. It's time to let them go. And they refuse. So God says, okay, now it's time for judgment. And he brings these 10 plagues because of their rebellion. And we can see other instances of that throughout scripture. And also what we see then is a future prediction of a final judgment when every person will stand before the throne of God and give an account for our lives. We we will give an account for our lives because our lives are not our own. Your life is not yours to do with as you wish. Your life is a gift to you from the creator and he will ask you to give an account for what you have done with that life. And so for now, God is holding back his wrath. He is not punishing every wrongdoing fully. It is getting stored up for that final judgment. And we saw that earlier in Romans 2, if you were with us. Romans 2 verse 5 says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is good news. I know it doesn't look like good news. You're thinking, wow, that's weird. This is is good news because we all want justice. We want justice to work right. We want our justice system in our country to work right, especially if we're the ones on trial. We want that system to work right. We look around at our culture and we see some social injustices there. We say we want those things to be righted. We, don't, we want everybody being treated with respect. We want our personal injustices to be righted. If someone has offended you, that I, I'm gonna just assume they have, someone who slandered you, someone who stole something from you, you, you want that justice you want them to get justice. You don't want them getting off the hook. We, we want justice. We want God to punish wrongdoing as long as it's somebody else's. When, when we have done wrong, we just hope and we're counting on the fact that God's love is so great for us that God's just gonna look down at us and say, hey, I understand you had a, you had a rough day. I know this is really difficult. I'm just gonna... I'm gonna look the other way on this one. We want him to do that with us, but we don't want him to do that with others, and it, and it doesn't work that way. God doesn't have one standard for the person who hurt you and a different standard for you who hurt someone else. Alongside of God's perfect love is God's perfect justice. And so the cross is the intersection of God's perfect love and his perfect justice. 
You can actually think about this anytime you see a cross. It's, it's really a beautiful symbol of this. That if you, if you think about the fact that God is higher than we are, you picture God at the top of that cross. He is higher than all of his creation. We who have fallen short of his standard, we are at the bottom of that. There's a gap between us. That, that center post there symbolizes the gap that exists because God is perfect and we are far from perfect. But the, the beauty of what Jesus did is that he bridged that gap. And he hung on that cross. You can picture him hanging there. So sometimes we see images of him hanging there. Thank God he's not there anymore. But when you see him hanging there, his arms are outstretched as it were in an embrace of love. It's like he's opening his arms out of love and he's bridging that gap that exists between God and us. He's the perfect mediator. There's some key terms in verse nine. It says in the second half there, much more will be be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. We, We are rescued from that wrath of God that is to come. At that final judgment, God will pour out his his wrath on all of sin. And it's like Jesus has put you and I who have put our faith in him, it's like he has encased us in this fireproof capsule so that as God's wrath blazes out, we are protected and we are safe. He saves us, he rescues us. He does that, verse nine, because we have been justified by his blood. We've been justified. We've talked about that word a lot as we study Romans. It just basically means we are made right with God. We are made right with God, legally and personally. And and that happens by his blood, by Jesus' blood. Why did Jesus have to die? His sacrifice, the the extent of his sacrifice shows us the extent of the damage of sin. See, we like to minimize and play down the damage that our sin causes, But, but just look around you. I mean, look at the planet. Look at so much brokenness in relationships, in nature itself. There is no easy fix to those things. If there were, we would have found it by now. I mean, we're we're not dumb people either, but we haven't found a solution. There is no easy fix. It took the ultimate sacrifice to correct what has been made wrong by sin. And that was Jesus giving his life, dying to pay the price for that sin. But this is Easter, And death was not the end. So today on Easter, we celebrate the fact that God accepted Jesus' payment and his sacrifice and raised him from the dead. We believe that that is a historical event. That is not just some spiritual, mystical, some of idea. It's a a historical thing that happened. Let me give you one evidence for that. I don't have a lot of time to get into this, but I wanna give you one evidence. I was reading this morning, again, the account of the resurrection from Luke chapter 24. And so in Luke 24, it says, as actually all the gospels accounts say, that a woman, uh, women came to the tomb and they were the first to find the tomb 
empty. They were the first to hear the announcement of the angel that Jesus had risen as he said. Nobody else believed that even though Jesus had said it over and over and over again, like on the third day I will rise, none of the other disciples were there. The women themselves didn't believe it because they came with their spices to finish preparing Jesus' body for, for the tomb. Nobody believed that he was going to rise again. But these women came and they were the first witnesses. And here's what we need to understand. That may not strike us as strange today, but we need to understand about ancient history that nobody, no, no, so one of the accusations or one of the postulations is that, well, the church just invented this story to get, to get started, and then people loved it, and so they kind of bought into it. In the ancient world, if you're gonna tell about an event that happened, you're not gonna have women being the first witnesses. Okay? And this is not, I'm not saying this from a misogynistic kind of standpoint. I'm saying this, this is just history. Like, at that time, women were not considered equal to, to men. Women were not allowed to testify in court because their, their testimony was not trusted. And so if somebody wanted to make this story up to start a new religion to follow Jesus, they're not going to make it up that way. And if they did, nobody would have bought into it. The only explanation is that something did happen, <laughs> that those women went there and just maybe they found what they said they found. If, if, you, if you have those kinds of questions about the credibility of the resurrection, then we have a gift for you this morning, a little book called The Case for Easter, a journalist who talks about many other evidences like that. From, um, from the gospel accounts. You can pick one of those up. You can come up after the service and we have some for you or you can stop by the Welcome Center and take one of those. We would love for you to have one to explore the, the reality, the historicity of the resurrection. This is not just a spiritual idea, which is really important when we get to the point where we lose someone that we love. And so tomorrow, Jim mentioned in his prayer that we, we lost a, a beautiful, wonderful woman who has been part of Grace Point for many years, Dorald King. Her funeral will be tomorrow, and her body will lay in a casket right here in, in front of me. And the hope that we have when we come to grieve, we, we will grieve, and we should grieve, because there's a huge loss when we don't no longer get to interact with someone that we love. But we don't grieve with no hope because our hope is that that body, she, she's not there anymore. She's not in that body anymore. Her spirit is gone and will be reunited with that body to be resurrected following the example of Jesus. Jesus was physically, bodily resurrected and we will be too. And so that is the hope that we have. For the, we, don't, we don't need to put our hope in this fuzzy, mystical idea that life comes after death. We need somebody who went there and experienced it, and Jesus did, and we can too. All right, we've got one more question. Okay, the last question for today. What does any of this have to do with me? Verses 10 and 11. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? There's that word again. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received what? Reconciliation. 
Have you ever been in conflict with someone, maybe estranged from someone over a long period of time and experienced that, that kind of pain? Maybe some of you are in that right now. I've, I've had that kind of estrangement from, from two different people. One where the, the one man hurt me, wounded me, and the other where I wounded another, another man. And both of those have been reconciled. I'm, I'm thankful to say. The, the, the first one, the, the man wounded me because I was, I was in a situation where I was kind of getting ganged up on by some people and uh, kind of, anyway. So, and he did not, he was my friend and he did not come to my defense. And in fact, he kind of joined in with everybody else. And I felt very abandoned by him. Later, a year or so later, he came to me and acknowledged and he said, that, that wasn't right and I'm really sorry. I let you down, and we've been reconciled, and we communicate now on a regular basis, pray for each other. The other situation, I wounded someone else, and I just recently reached out to him, and I said, I'm really sorry. I said, I have learned a lot over the years since you and I worked together, and I recognize that I just, I did some things that I wish I could undo. If I had it to do over, if I had it to do now, I would do it differently, and I just want you to know I'm sorry for the ways that I hurt you. And we're reconciled. And there's a sweetness now to not having a pit in my stomach anytime I think of those men, to having the ability to be able to interact with them and connect with them. And that kind of reconciliation is possible for us, Romans 5 tells us, with God. We can be reconciled that way with, with God. Because Jesus stood in the gap as a mediator between us. We, we come to the, nego- to the uh, reconciliation table, if you will, with God on one side and us on the other. We have, we have wronged him, and that's very clear. But Jesus comes to the table as the mediator, as the negotiator between us. And he's perfectly qualified for that because he is God in human Form in human flesh. And so he is the God-man to mediate between God and man. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Clearly, we were in the wrong. We owe an unpayable debt. But Jesus said, I'll pay the price. And God the Father accepted the price that he paid and the peace deal was brokered. And so as Romans 5 verse 1 tells us, we have peace with God. We are reconciled. The cross is the intersection of God's perfect love and perfect justice. Ponder for just a moment the the perfect justice of God. He is uncompromised in pouring out punishment for all of the evil that has ever been done. But ponder the perfect love of God who was willing himself to take punishment on himself and to pay that price for all of us who do evil, all of us who Romans 5 calls us morally weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies. 
See, the good news is Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. You don't have to get your act together to come to him. In fact, you can't. You can't solve your problem. You can't mediate your own gap. Only Jesus can do that. So God has made the first move towards reconciliation. It happened at the cross. Perfect love without compromising justice. So what is our move? What is your move? Well, it's to come to the reconciliation table and to see Jesus there with nail scars that validate the fact that he has paid the unpayable debt for all of humankind. Come to that table and admit that you're an unlovely sinner. It's your first step to being reconciled and to being made new. Admit that you're an unlovely sinner. And then turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to credit the payment that you made. I need you to credit that to my account. When you do that, your reconciliation begins to happen with God and new life begins to happen. We're gonna sing one one final song that actually is a song of invitation, coming to the, the reconciliation table, coming to the altar. And and I wanna encourage you to take these moments this morning to, to call on Jesus, say, Jesus, please credit what you have done to my account. You can do that right where you're sitting. You don't have to do anything special or pray in any special way. But sometimes it's also good to put legs to our thoughts and our prayers. And so if you're so moved during this song, come, come to the reconciliation table, come to the altar, and we would love the opportunity to pray with you. You can call on God as we sing. Let's pray. Father, We thank you for your incredible sacrifice. Thank you for your genius of being able to love us perfectly and wholly and completely. And at the same time, not to compromise in any respect your perfection, your justice, your holiness. You brought those together at the cross in the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Jesus, thank you for giving your perfect self in place of our unlovely and sinning selves. Thank you for opening the door for us and offering the invitation that we come to that reconciliation table to meet me right with God. Lord, would you stir in hearts and cause people, give them the courage to come to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.